Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check us out on social media. We're available on all platforms, so just head over, search Country Music Made Me, and give us a follow. You can also visit us at countrymusicmademe.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. On today's episode, we are excited to be welcomed by Casey Tyndall. Now, Casey grew up with a love of performing and music, but it wasn't until an opportunity in 2014 to hit the stage to sing a duet with Keith Urban that she really got the bug to chase it as a career. She moved to Nashville in 2015, and after working to find her voice and find who she was as an artist, she released her breakout single, Middleman, last year. Since that time, she has released her wildly popular hit, Jesus and Joan Jett, which she began playing a few years ago live, and really it was the fans that made her release that song, and it has been very successful. She just released her newest single, Nothing Wrong With Being Country, so please enjoy our conversation with Casey Tyndall. I wanted to start out sort of talking about your newer music because you have four singles that you've released in the past year or so. And so there's Middleman. That was sort of the first release that really hit for you. And that was based around your experience growing up with divorced parents. And then we had Jesus and Joan Jett, which is sort of a representation of your life of dealing with the living the Christian life while also living the rock star life. So based on your life. And then we had babies, which is the story, I believe, of sort of chasing your dreams and not necessarily being where people expect you to be, but being happy with that within yourself. And then the newest single isn't out right now, but when this episode is released, it will be out. And so we have nothing wrong with being country, which is based around where you grew up and your upbringing. So we have four very personal singles and I want to dive into the influence of those and the events throughout your life that have influenced them. And that was a very long intro. I usually don't talk that much. That's okay. I love it. (laughs) Let's get into it so we can let you talk. So overall, just within the love of music. Now the story has been told that the age of six was when you picked up the guitar and learned it for a school project. But I think I saw a photo where you were maybe three or four and you were standing on what appeared to be Christmas day, I believe, and you were holding a guitar. And so I was wondering where this journey really began. And if that photo was a guitar that you had been given, and if it was, did you ask for that? Or did your parents sort of give it to you as a surprise to see what you thought of the guitar? Um, so on Saturday nights, I would go stay with my grandma and then we would get up and go to church the next morning. And on Saturday nights, the Grand Ole Opry would come on. So we would watch that. And then I would put on this show um, after it was over. And I think they just kind of was like, she loves to perform. So got me a guitar and a microphone. And I think that's what that picture was. Um, but yeah, I, I really taught myself when I was in middle school um, how to play. Um, we had a, a project in English class um, with just taking a poem and turning it into a song. 
And so um, that's kind of where, well, that's like the first song I wrote. And then I kind of taught myself uh, to play guitar with Taylor, on Taylor Swift's first record. Right. So when you got that first guitar, did you learn to play it at all? Or did you use it as a prop just around the house for those performances? I think it was just a prop. I was so young. I just had it. <laughs> <laughs> and within your love of music, now, I've heard you talk about your mom was more on the rock and your dad was more on country and how you would listen to it on the drives back and forth from their houses because they were divorced. And so were those car rides a big part to those musical influences or like did they play it a lot around the house as well? Um, those car rides definitely uh, shaped me, you know, and my love for music. Um, my mom, she loved rock stuff. I mean, she was Pat Benatar, Joan Jett, I mean, Boston Journey, listening to all that. But she also loved Alison Krauss. And so I listened to rock and Alison Krauss, my mama, which was great. Um, and then my dad was just what was on country radio. And and so, yeah, all that, you know, all that time in the car definitely helped shape my love for music and, and helped shape the music that I'm creating now. Right. And when did Joan Jett really start to take a hold of you do you remember sort of what age you were when you really started to fall in love with her and her music yeah I mean I, I always loved her music growing up just because I would hear it um but I feel like really when I was like 19 or 20 did I really just like gravitate I just loved her attitude and loved just her perseverance and and how she just carries herself in, in music and I just think she's a badass. So, yeah, I think I was around 19 when I really was like, dude, Joan Jett's one of my heroes. Right. And now you have a guitar that I saw in some older videos. I don't know if you still have it, but it was an acoustic and it had like floral patterns, I think, like a strip of like floral patterns or something on it. And I wanted to I was wondering if that was your first guitar, if there's a story behind that guitar. Yeah. So that was the first guitar that I like played on stage or played shows with. Um, and it was just, it was a pretty sure it was a breed love, uh, acoustic, um, that my dad had got me, but I wanted to make it me. So I took some camouflage gun tape and made oh, like okay. a stripe and then put it around the rim just to make it me. Um, but that's what that was. And do you still have it in the arsenal? I do somewhere. I think it might be up in the attic, but I still have it for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. And within the car rides that you took with your dad and I believe your stepdad, I wanted to ask you about CNG Grill and Grocery that I believe is now named Moe's and what that spot means to you. Um, In my hometown? Yeah. Yeah. So it was originally called Sarah's Grill. Okay. And uh I that place, oh my gosh. I that's where we would eat a biscuit before we went hunting on Saturdays. Um wow, how did you know about that place? That's so crazy. I love my deep dives. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that um man, Sarah's grill, that was that was the spot. So what memories do you hold from that? Um they just going to get a steak there and it, like it, there was like a little grocery store and I don't think we ever grocery shopped in it but uh, my biggest memories from that place was just getting a biscuit there on Saturday mornings before we went hunting and then because uh, they were open so early and so it'd be all the hunters sitting around having coffee and having a biscuit and just talking and getting ready for the day right. that's awesome and, and now was it your dad or your stepdad 
that was got you into hunting and was your hunting partner? Um, my dad got me into hunting, but I hunted with both of them um, oh, okay. for sure. But uh, yeah, I was real, really young when I started hunting with my dad. And talk about the hunting stand. I saw you mention at one point that you did go to church in your youth, but it was really in the hunting stand where you found Jesus and connected with Jesus. And so talk about that connection. Yeah. So um, I was in this hunting club uh, that my stepdad was a part of when I was, uh, I started going there when I was in middle school and we would have, um, so like I would hunt with him one weekend and then my dad the next weekend. Um, but we would do Bible studies on Friday nights and then we would wake up and hunt on Saturdays and um, just being around uh, the people that were there and um, between that and just hunting itself is so just peaceful. And um, I don't know, that's just where my connection, my true like connection with Jesus, that's where it came from. And do you still get the chance to go out and hunt? I do not as much just because of touring and I stay pretty busy and I don't really have a place out here around Nashville to hunt yet, but that's, that's on the vision board. (laughs) (laughs) And now you started, you mentioned playing the guitar in middle school for a school project. And I was wondering when it began to take hold, because we'll talk about the Keith Urban thing, which was the big catalyst in all of this. But before that, is there a moment where it did take hold, where you saw it as something more than you heard in the car or heard at home? Yeah. So my first real performance was, um, I was in, I was in 4-H when I was young and, um, but I lived in the city limits, so I couldn't raise an animal. Uh, I can't remember what the rules were that prevented me from doing that, but I couldn't have a goat like all my friends. So they did this talent show, um, every year and and I did the talent show and played and that was the first time I like played guitar and sang in front of anyone and and that kind of you know that that lit a little that lit a fire and I kept doing it but nothing serious I think you know I just kind of always had that mentality like a very realistic mentality that like oh everybody wants to be a big star and I'm never gonna get out of here do it you know so but that's but that's truly when it you know, I was like, oh, wow, I can like get out of my bedroom and actually sing in front of people and see what happens. So what was that like after all those years of performing for your family and loving performing to actually get on a stage and perform in front of people? Were you automatically comfortable or were there nerves there when you finally got up in front of people? I was terrified the whole time. I remember being so scared. I can still see it now. I was sitting on the stage. We, we had the 4-H meetings at my church in the fellowship hall. And um, just sitting on the steps of that stage and they had like set the mic up and I was terrified. Um, but afterwards, once I got through it, I was like, wow, that was an insane adrenaline rush. And I, I think I could do that again. <laughs> right. And now I saw a photo you posted from the Colgate Country Showdown. I oh, believe yeah. it was. And I was wondering, did you perform there or was that just like you were there watching? I performed. Um, I got second up to second place. I went, well, I won in the local round and then I went to the state round and lost out at second, second place or third place. I can't remember, but I was so sad, but it was such a great, I love that contest. I thought it was great. I had a good time. What did that do for your confidence in 
showing you that maybe you were better than some of the rest and maybe just maybe this was something you could pursue. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely added to it. And like I said, I always had had a, this mentality that like I was never really going to try to be anything, you know, big. I mean, I did, I did try out for like American Idol and the voice and stuff and didn't make it, but okay. um, you know, I mean, that contest definitely was the biggest thing at the time that I had done. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll just keep doing stuff like this and see, see what happens. And in 2013, did you record a six song EP? I had made like a, a few little CDs of me playing acoustic. I don't even know. I can't even remember what the songs were that were on them. Honestly, it sounds like you might be able to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a there's a moment that might bring it back. I saw that you had won tickets and got to do a meet and greet with Lauren Elena. Elena and, that's right. and then she had posted after that about your music. Yep. And so you had given her your music at, at that meeting. At, yeah. So, yeah, it was a meet and greet um, at the farm in Selma, North Carolina. And um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a kid. And I just like walked up and just was like, hey, I sing too. And just handed it to her. And she tweeted and it was like, I, I think it was, uh, I really like your songs. New to me is my favorite or something like that. And that was the coolest thing ever at the time. You know, I, I just, that was big. <laughs> right. Me. And so to any of those experiences, that and the country showdown before you got to the Keith Urban concert, did any of those give you the spark that maybe you could pursue this? Or was it really that Keith Urban experience that set you on this path? It, it was the Keith Urban thing. Like I said, I mean, I, I loved playing music and I, I definitely dreamed of it and, and, you know, thought if, if something were to happen and I was able to really do this, then I'm going for it. Um, but I was very realistic. Like I was wanting to be a nurse. And so I, you know, was working really hard in school to, to be on that path, you know, when I got to college and stuff. Um, but yeah, the Keith Urban situation, that was, that's what really was like, Oh crap, I can really do this. And so for people who don't know, so you want to contest, to sing with Keith Urban at his show around your hometown. And so you step up there to sing with him. Now talk about the experience beforehand. Did you get a chance to like meet him and talk about the performance and what was going to happen at all? Uh, no, I did not. So really? yeah, I, I won this contest through 94.7 QDR and it was to sing the female part to We Were Us that he did with Miranda. And um, we like called in on the phone. So it was, I mean, we all sounded terrible. All the finalists, they played them back. It's like coming through the phone. We all sounded just terrible. And I was like, well, this will be any, mini mighty, mo." And they picked me and I was like, oh my gosh. So it was crazy because, it, you know, like just word got out. And so I had all these like news channels coming to my house trying to, they were fighting for really? an interview before I had to leave to go to Raleigh, which is like an hour and a half drive. Um, and so, yeah, I, I get there and I was so scared. My dad went with me uh, and they gave me a little green room that I, and they gave me very clear instructions on when to go stand at a certain spot. And then when, when Keith calls me and you know, go out there, but I sound checked with one of his band members kind of stood in as, as him. Okay. So I didn't actually get to meet him until I went out there and I was like, Oh my God, it's Keith Urban. That is <laughs> crazy. Of, like, 
tons of people. Yeah. And so within that moment, you hadn't met him. So obviously you want to make an impression on him. But as a performer, you probably want to be paying attention to the thousands of people that are in front of you. So what like what was your thoughts during the performance of making that balance of being, oh, Keith Urban, but oh, look at me performing, everyone. Honestly, I kind of blacked out a little. I, I, like I had an out-of-body experience. I was, I feel like I barely remember. I remember looking out and actually seeing my family and like pointing at them. And before I started singing, so in Raleigh, so first of all, I went to ECU. Um, which is in Greenville uh, for college. And then in Raleigh, that's where NC State, you know, that whole area is like North Carolina, um, just Duke, you've got all these colleges. And so just from how the, how the Greenville community had, you know, got behind me going to do this and like the, all the news channels and all that stuff. Um, I, uh, when I got on stage, he was like, so who did you bring with you tonight? And I, I don't even like, I swear it, the Holy Spirit just made me say this. I don't know. But I was like, well, the whole Pirate Nation's here tonight. And, like, the crowd just erupted. There was, like, cheering and booing and, like, in a good way, you know. Yeah. Apparently, well, there was, apparently there was a bunch of fights after because oh, of it. Really? But, yeah, because people were drunk and my team's better than your team kind of thing. But, right, yeah. Um, but they ended up, like, playing the soundbite in the, in the ECU stadium of him saying, well, where's the Pirate Nation at tonight? Like, it was super cool but that that and seeing my family is really the only things I truly remember about being up there because I was just like holy crap and I do remember thinking wow he's like super ripped (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was uh it was I'll never forget that night that's when it truly um kicked things off for me I mean even doing that like I had friends being like this can change your life I'm like no it's not like it's gonna be a flash in the pan and I'll get some shows out of it. That'll be cool, you know. But then the stars aligned and my first manager happened to, to, you know, I think he was in the crowd or got a call from someone in the crowd that was like, did you hear this girl? And then that led to me coming to Nashville. And, you know, one thing led to another and we're really doing it. So that that's definitely what did it. I saw on social media, you had mentioned that at some point, I think it was around 2014, you told your mom, that you would play City Limits in Rally by January or no, by the end of 2014, I think you had mentioned to her. And then I think it was January 2015, you were able to play that venue opening for Kelsey Ballerini and Easton Corbin. I think that's the first time you played that venue. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. It was with Josh Thompson was the first time. The second time was with Kelsey and Easton Corbin. Okay. So talk about that venue and the fact that sort of that was what you told your mom and then what it meant to be playing there. So City Limit Saloon growing up, um, you would hear it on the radio. Like that's where the country concerts were like that, you know, the up and coming, like the, that you could go and see. Um, so when I was, you know, 18 and could finally get in, it was Chase Rice and Sam Hunt. And those, those people were playing there at that time. Um, and I can't remember what the capacity was there. I want to say it was like thousand cap, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, and it was in Raleigh. Um, and it was just a, always a goal of mine. I just felt like if I played city limits, I was, doing something right you know and so um I got to meet Kevin Frazier he was actually part of my team on that first team he um owned City Limits Saloon and 
Um, so when they asked me to play, to open for Josh Thompson that first time, I was like, I mean, it just meant the world to me. I'll never forget that night. Um, that was such a big deal for me. And then getting to hear my name on QDR um, when they were, you know, advertising for the show. Right. I, I just like remember riding around in my truck constantly just to hear it. I mean, it was such a big deal. And and now City Limits is no more. They, they tore it down. Um, actually, yeah. I just got a picture this week from my band leader. Went back home for a few days. He's from Raleigh. And he's like, no more City Limits. And I was like, dang. I mean, that I've spent a lot of nights watching concerts there. And um, it's definitely a huge part of my journey. And I believe that you were able to go back there to play over the years. And so what did that mean to you? Like within those experiences, do you have to make sure they don't lose the magic that it had the first time you played it and become normal for you within this journey? Is that sort of maybe a worry if it does become a normal thing? Um, You know, especially with that place, I, I don't think that whatever was ever going to happen, but um, the first time I got to headline there and we sold it out, that was huge like one of again one of the most special nights a lot of special nights came from city limit saloon but i also when kevin was gonna sell it and uh it was gonna be like the last night i got to play the farewell party and that was really cool too um yeah city limits wow just i love that place i'm sad it's gone yeah absolutely and now the conversation when you're ready to move to nashville Talk about that conversation with your mom and just maybe the conversation with yourself in yeah. sort of telling yourself that it's the right move. So I had visited with my first manager um, uh, just to, you know, he's like, have you ever been to Nashville? I was like, oh, like as a kid, but not as somebody who's actually doing this now. Um, and so he's like, okay, well, I, I've got meetings. So why don't you come and just tag along? So I did. And everybody kept saying, you got to be present to win. Got to be present to win. Have to move here. It's the only way. Right. And so I had just got done with my prerequisites for to get into nursing school or to apply to nursing school. And um, I had to just make that decision. And it was, you know, I can always go back to school. Um, but these kind of opportunities, you know, only happen once. So I just needed to do it. And so when I, I talked to my parents about it, they were very supportive um, and they were okay with me dropping out of school. And um, yeah, it was hard, you know, for me to leave home because I was 19. So, um, but they, they, they helped me move, you know, packed up the U-Haul and helped me move my stuff in. And um, yeah, they were, they were great. That's awesome. And tell me about Susie, your Chevy truck. Did she ever make it to Nashville after all? Not yet. Not yet, but she's going to. I'm telling you, it's still a goal of mine. I know where she sits. I'm going to buy her back. Um, but no, that was, man, I love my truck. Um, and it was, that was really hard having to leave her behind. Um, just because she's a little bit old and gas was so expensive, especially at the time I moved here and uh, I needed a little car that I could zip around and go to shows far away. Um, but I'm going to get her back. She's, she's my, my best pal. She doesn't have electric seats though. So I had to sit on an old hunt cushion and, um, barely look over. The really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And within that drive and the price of gas, 
How many hours do you figure you've spent on the road between home and Nashville? I mean, I in the car I have now, I got it when it had 14,000 miles on it. And it's like 120 some thousand miles on it. Oh, wow. And that's, and I drove a different car for like a year or so. Oh, so okay. a ton. And my band was, when I first moved, my band was based in North Carolina. So I would drive and meet them. They would have the van and trailer and I would drive my car. So oh, wow. I mean, I've put some miles. And then, you know, when I first moved here, I'd go back and forth a lot and play the yeah. acoustic gigs to pay the bills. Um, so I was driving back home, you know, seven, eight hours uh, every other weekend. Wow. That's so crazy. I have put some miles on the road. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you first moved to Nashville, talk about Lainey Wilson, of course. And then also Parmalee, I saw was uh, they were some mentors of yours. Talk about how important artists like that, especially Lainey, were when you first moved there and helping you sort of get your footing. Yeah. So um, so I moved to town with a girl named Mandolin Monchick, who is now Lainey's manager. Um, and we met Lainey. She was actually living up the street. And Mandolin was working um, a lot. And me and Lainey were kind of in the same boat. We were like, we would go right. But then we, you know, we lived up the streets. We were bored. So we just hang out every day. And then we all became best friends. And um, then we all ended up living together. And um, but yeah, Lainey's just, Lainey's my best pal. And, um, we're, I'm so excited that she's just freaking blown up. I mean, gosh, if anyone deserves it, it's it's Lainey. Um, but yeah, she's a huge part of my journey because she's a part of my village here. Um, you know, it's, when you don't have family here in town, your friends are your family. Um, and so I have the most amazing group of girlfriends here. Um, and I, I literally don't think I could do it without them and, and go through all the stuff that you go through in this business and in this town. But yes, yeah, super, super thankful for Lainey. So your first co-write in Nashville, I believe it was, was with Doug Johnson or one of your first anyways. And he's yeah. uh, a super hit writer. He wrote three wooden crosses for Randy Travis written for Lee Bryce or flats. And I heard you tell a story that you didn't necessarily knew he, who he was when yeah, you went I, I into did. that co-write. I didn't. It was me and Doug and a guy named Nick Altry. And um, Doug had to step out and take a phone call. And Nick was like, do you know who that is? And I was like, no. And then he told me. And I was like, you shouldn't have told me until I have the right. Because then the rest of the right, I was like freaking out. And that that was the week that I went to visit Nashville. So I hadn't moved there yet. Oh, okay. And another crazy right I had that week was um, – I can't remember who the third co-writer was on this, but it was with driver Williams who plays for Eric church. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we're now signed to the same potion company, which, and I know him very well. He's, he's awesome. But at the time I knew I was going to be writing with him, but it, the, like the week before I had tickets to see Eric church in Raleigh. So I'm up in the nosebleeds and I'm like, I'm writing with that guy next week. And I was like freaking out. But yeah, that's like, did you have the confidence going to Nashville? Like for someone who has known they've wanted to do this since they were three, maybe they built themselves up a bit, but your sort of aha moment didn't come until later. And so did you have the confidence as you went into those rooms and as you started co-writing? I had, I had a good amount of confidence, but I also knew that I was about to learn a lot. I was felt very humbled being able to sit in these rooms with 
and I still am to this day whenever whenever I'm able to write with with people who have done you know incredible things in the right community I just feel like there's so much to learn um but yeah I mean I, I, I definitely had like I know that I'm good enough to sit in these rooms but I definitely um especially when I first started was just like in awe of the people I was writing with that's awesome and I within this journey I saw that at the end of 2018 so you released your debut music in 2017 and then at the end of 2018 you sort of ended it by sort of a sobering post of the fact that maybe your debut music has hadn't hit as well as you hoped it would and sort of the the first years in nashville struggling with that christianity versus you know rock star lifestyle and so within this journey as you're going through that especially with the music not hitting as well as you wanted it to you were still playing a ton you were still getting a lot of great shows so within the journey of the disappointments do you have to make sure that your mind is always open to the other experiences that are happening so that you don't get too low and you realize that you are on the right path yeah I mean it you know especially like back then I, I was going through a lot of changes um I'm just getting you know just growing as a human but also like team members changing here and there and um and you know I was touring a ton um and you know some like I would play kind of some crappy gigs to be able to go open for Granger Smith one night you know so I I feel like I I definitely you have to really work at keeping your your mental health right sometimes in this business no matter what level you're at I mean um some of my friends that are, are doing really well now I mean they have the same struggles just on a different level or you know and yeah. and so I, you definitely I've, I've definitely learned um to hold on to all the good things that you know you know you meet a random really nice stranger at the grocery store making sure to like really soak that in and to try to combat some of the bad stuff or some of the disappointments or um because they can really eat you up you know this business is not one of those that you can just i'm gonna get up and work really hard today and I'm going to succeed. That's not true. It's, it's, there's so everybody's path is different. There's no one way, one size fits all situation um, in the music business. And so all you can do is do your best. And when sometimes your best isn't good enough, it's, it can be very, very hard, especially growing up like I did where you worked hard. Like, you know, when I was in college, I worked three jobs and went to college and played music and there was no, you didn't work hard in my family. I mean, you, you, there's no other option. You worked your butt off. Um, and I love that. So that's what made it even harder when, you know, around that time when things were just seemed to be falling apart for me on the music side, it was just, I couldn't just, I don't know. I just felt like it it got to me a little bit. And so I, I definitely feel like I've grown up a lot since then and am definitely able to, you know, combat those things with like you're saying, keeping my mind open to just, all the good that's around and, and really focusing on that and kind of training my brain to, to fight all that. Right. And so 2020, how important was that year for helping you train your brain and for helping you see the positive and, and for getting through that? What was 
that year like for you as a newer artist who is looking to explode, but, you know, not being able to do anything? You know, honestly, um, the pandemic, as far as my music went, it actually took the pressure off because 2018, 2019 was, was when I felt like kind of everything felt like it was falling apart for me on the music side. And I was like, so the fact that nobody could do anything, I felt like I had a chance to regroup, you know, I got a job delivering groceries and and I was able to just like, all right, we're all in the same boat now. We're all about to start over, you know, like it, it definitely actually took the pressure off for me. I know for a lot of people that was, it was the opposite, but um, yeah. Right. It and was now something. Middleman was the first single that you released in early 2021. And that was a more country forward song. It didn't exactly have that rock leaning edge. And so when that hit well, did you have a worry that maybe that was the path you had to take and maybe you had to leave that rock edge behind to be successful? Honestly, um, so middleman what came at a time uh, this is such a, a god moment for me um i was about to lose my publishing deal that i had at the time like i knew i wasn't gonna get offered a new one um we were in a pandemic um and i was like oh my gosh i'm not gonna be able to pay my bills and right. at that time nobody's hiring it's not like i could go get my bartender's license and start slinging drinks because they were cutting people and so you know a lot of veterans were only you know, veteran bartenders were, were holding steady jobs with that. And I was like, I don't know what I could do to actually make enough money right now. Cause touring was not quite back up to par at the time. And, um, so I just needed another publishing deal. And I was like, I need a song that is going to get someone in town's attention to, um, to, to sign me to a publishing deal so I can focus on my music and, have a way to pay my bills um and so I had been praying and praying I was like I don't I don't know what to do I don't have a song and me and Lainey ended up writing it on the back porch um and we were just talking about you know my parents being divorced and how I had a great experience but you know being the oldest sibling I was the middleman and as soon as I said middleman she was like go get a guitar right now like I'm pretty sure it was like 10 o'clock night and it just she was like keep talking and I literally like every line was just matter of fact. The only thing that wasn't true was it wasn't a Texaco. It was a Hess station, so, but that didn't really sound good. So, um, and we knew we had just wrote one of those songs. that was like a career song that even if it didn't go big, it was just a song I would play forever. And, uh, it was just, you know, my story. And, and so, um, my mom, I, and then I didn't have a way to record it because I didn't have any money. Right. And, um, yeah, so I, my mom actually just was like, I'll pull out of my savings and, uh, just get it recorded. And I couldn't believe that. Like, I just, that was crazy. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, and then that led to Riverhouse, who I'm with now. And they're right. incredible. Um, I, I freaking love my team that I'm with right now, but I'll never forget. So they uh, Zed and Lynn called me the day um, that my publishing deal was going to stop paying me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm saved. <laughs> like, 
it was such a big, such a big deal. But yeah, middleman, middleman changed the game for me, for now, sure. How interesting is that? Like one that pops to mind is Scotty McCreary and Five More Minutes. That was a song that his management pushed to the side because they didn't think it was good enough. And then when he was on his own, he's like, no, this is a song I'm going to release. And that really shot him off. And so for you, it feels like once you had control over what you were doing, that's when things became successful because that's when things really became you. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think, you know, just everything feeling like it was falling apart, you know, and building back up myself and then, and then, you know, pushing off from there. Uh, definitely. It's just like you're saying, um, but also just getting older too. And I was just sinking into my skin and really like, figuring out who I was. Um, and so, and the music's kind of been changing with that ever since I got started. Um, but yeah, and definitely. so when you went into releasing Jesus and Joan Jett, which I believe you had written back in 2017. Now, after you have middleman, which is like I mentioned, more country leaning, what was your thought to saying it is a different sound but than my first single, but I'm going to take this chance and I'm going to release it and I'm going to see what people say. Yeah, so that song, um, the fans, I, they would not take no for an answer. I had tried to put that song out multiple times and just one thing after another, it just wouldn't, it wasn't working out. And finally, um, when, when I got over to River House, we were deciding to put out more music uh, after middleman um the fans wanted it so bad and and i'm country and i'm rock you know so there are going to be times where maybe something sounds a little more over here and some songs over here and but that's what i like about my music i don't, I'm, don't really want to be put in this box right so yeah. um so we just went for it i was like rock and roll baby let's go and what was it like like you have played it for years live, but what was it like finally hearing that finished recorded produced song? Uh, it was incredible. And Derek Wells is incredible. He, they, him and all the musicians did an incredible job. Um, it just felt like finally that's, I just, that's all I could think about. Just finally it's, it's happening. This is what I want right here. And how cool was it when it did do well? I, I mean, I think from what I saw, I could be wrong, but I think that it has the most streams on Spotify of any song, like even your older stuff that has had the years to accumulate listens. So what is that like to finally release it and see that success and see the response from the fans, just not just at a live show, but within your entire career? Um, it just, you know, for me, that song, why it was so cool to me, it was like the fans wanted it. And then it showed with the streams and, and the success of it thus far. And I think it's still hanging on to some playlists, which is huge. Um, but yeah, just, the, I mean, the fans spoke and they got what they wanted and they, they showed out with it. So it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, that song is just it's like my baby um but yeah just it definitely showed how powerful fans are and why and how why they're the most important part of all this right and now the newest single nothing wrong with being country um now i saw that you were on a writing trip in louisiana 
earlier this year. So did that song come from that trip or is this one that came back from 2020, 2021? No, I wrote that song this year. I'm trying to think. I can't remember when I wrote it, um, but I wrote it with Cole Taylor and Jacob Rice. Oh, okay. And um, I just remember being in the car. I think it was early to my right. And I was just, I remember reading, it was either a blog post or something where someone was just kind of talking trash about country people and how we were stupid or like all the stereotypes that come with it. And I remember being so angry about it. I walked in there and I was just like, y'all, there's nothing wrong with being country. And uh, I needed something upbeat at the time too. And so it was perfect. So we just went to town writing it. And I was like, well, there it is. We're, we're cutting that one. And these four songs, have you ever been this personal in the writing room before sort of writing Middleman? And, and after that, did it help you really open up in the writing room and write songs that were very personal to you? Honestly, there's like a weird magic that's in a writing room. Like you could have never met someone before. You go in a writing room and you tell them your whole life story and write a song and leave. And you might not would even tell some of your closest friends some of these things. I mean, it's just weird how vulnerable writing can make you. Um, so I've, I've always kind of been that way since I started writing um, with with other people. Um, so, I yeah, it, it was way before like Middleman and everything. But um, oh, okay. I've definitely gotten more vulnerable the, the more I get used to it. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Like just it's like a big therapy session sometimes. You're like, wow, I didn't realize I needed to talk about that today, but there it is. <laughs> That's hilarious. And talking about telling your your life story and, and telling them things you might not tell anyone else, I wanted to ask you, I think it's Courtney Thomas, who is one of your good friends. And I saw you post one time what people could learn from her if they convinced her to spill all her secrets that she has with you. And I was just wondering what maybe some of those secrets are and, and your relationship with her. Oh, gosh. So I don't know if I could tell those secrets that were kicking my butt. Um, but she was my um, best friend in high school, college. And she's still one of my best friends. And I try to see her whenever I go home. Um, but yeah, she's she's an awesome human. I love Courtney. Love me some Courtney. That's awesome. And I also wanted to ask the hard work and never back down attitude that you have. Of course, it's from your family. But I was wondering also how much you took from Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, yeah, dude. I love that show. That was like my favorite show growing up. Man, Chuck Norris. Um, yeah, so actually I ended up taking Taekwondo okay. for a while. <laughs> and I used to be on the sparring team and everything. And I think that came from that. But yeah, the hard work and the discipline uh, from like the martial arts and and watching Walker, Texas Ranger definitely helped me with my music for sure. That's awesome. And so tell us what's next. You're heading out for, you just got off the road with Drake White and then you're heading out with Bailey Zimmerman. And so what are these shows like to finally have this music that has hit so well after all these years of wanting that and, and being able to be out there playing these shows and, and hearing people sing it back to you? Um, it's incredible. I've been so blessed um, over the years with all the people I've gotten to tour with. And um, I enjoyed, I mean, the Drake White tour changed my life, just the people and uh, Drake and his whole crew and 
um, just meeting his fans and, and, you know, being able to gain his fans um, has been incredible. I've done a lot of dates with – I did the Jamie Johnson Whiskey Myers tour last year. Um, and ba- the Bailey tour, I'm so excited. I love Bailey. I'm so excited for him and his career, and he's such a nice guy. And I was I was so thankful when he – when they, you know, asked me to, to open these shows for him. And I think some of them are with Corey Ken as well. And I love him. Um, but yeah, I'm just so thankful and, and excited uh, for this tour coming up. And what does the future hold for your music as we see more singles from you? Is there plans for a bigger project? Um, yes. I, I think we're definitely going to go in and try to cut some more songs by the end of the year. Um, but I'm just writing my butt off right now. Um, pretty much every day that I'm home, trying to trying to get um, a pile of songs to choose from and and go in and, and cut some more. But we have uh, another song that's going to be coming out after "Nothing Wrong with Being Country" before the year's over with, and then and then we'll go from there. Right. And last thing I wanted to ask, just within your songwriting, now I saw in 2021 Nashville Briefing named you one of 25 songwriters you need to know. And so within this career and where you are now, where does the balance come of being a songwriter and being an artist and living within those two areas? Yeah, I mean, I I love writing songs. Um, I, I think I definitely love the the artist side more. Um, but I love writing music. It's, it's part of who I am. And I feel like I live my day in lyrics, you know, like I can't help when I watch a, a show or a movie, I got to stop and write down what I heard and, and go off into La La Land, write a song. Um, but, uh, when I was part of that list, I remember feeling just so honored to be, recognized for my songwriting um because uh, also this town is runs off of songwriting um and so so being a part of that list with the people that were on that list was a huge deal for me and made me you know just made me think wow okay i i am a good songwriter i'm i'm good at this okay you know um but yeah it was, it was such a big honor to be on that list and uh the balance is easy honestly um just because I, I got to write the songs to, to go out and play them, you know, to have, yeah. to have songs play. Thank you once again so much for listening. And thank you to Casey for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her newest single, Nothing Wrong With Being Country. Please also be sure to check us out on social media. You can find us on all platforms. So just head over, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow. You can find us on our website, countrymusicmademe.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review, a rating. It would be very much appreciated. Thank you once again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music